from here to there. We cannot go unless we change and start to grow. Welcome to Lead, Sell, Grow, a show that helps you amplify your leadership, grow your sales, and take your life to the next level, all while being human. Here are your hosts, Eric Konovalov and Harry Spate. Harry, we have such a special guest today, Scott McGregor. He is a true inspiration. And to be honest with you, I may have a man crush on him or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) He is the CEO of Something New LLC, a very unique and fast-growing talent acquisition firm. They believe people always have been and always will be the single most important thing to create success or failure for a company. They help companies find those special people who ensure success, and they take the extremely hard and very time-consuming work out of it for their clients and do it for them like no one else can. That's why Something New LLC has been awarded the American Business Award for Innovation five times. They're definitely doing something different. Scott, their CEO, believes that good companies do good things, so he started Something Good, which is the social component of something new and is designed to fundraise and give back to various organizations that are really making a huge difference. Scott is the mastermind and author of Standing O and Standing O Salute. I'm sorry, Standing O, Standing O Encore. Uh, They're books of gratitude for life lessons. Both books are filled with over 100 stories from incredible people and all the proceeds are donated. Scott is a husband. He's a father of a U.S. Marine and an Army soldier. He's a friend to many lucky people, and he believes in people over everything. So excited for this conversation. Welcome to the show, Scott. How are you? That was one heck of an intro, my God. (laughs) Thank you. It took me three weeks. We were talking about. (laughs) So thank you, guys. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Harry. It's an absolute uh, pleasure and honor to be on with you guys. I've been so stoked for this. So tell me about people over everything. I mean, everywhere there's like, people are just posting them the pictures of themselves, myself included in these shirts. (laughs) You have it everywhere. People over everything just means, I mean, to me, it just, as soon as I see it, it didn't need an explanation, but tell me how you came up with it and what is your goal for getting that word out? You know, it, it really comes from talking to leaders. Um, and when I talk to leaders, oftentimes I find them talking about their product. I find them talking about a lot of things outside of what really makes a company successful, which is their people. Hmm. Um, so I am a, a people nerd. Uh, and I honestly believe that your success or failure in business is predicated on your people more than anything else. Um, so we believe in people over everything. And, and as a company, we're on a mission to really get every leader to focus and have the mindset that their people are their greatest asset. Um, so that's really where it comes from. I love it. I've read your chapter in, in uh, Standing O, and I love how grateful you are for those eight people in the yep. book. My grade eight. Your grade eight. But you came from, what's really inspiring to me about you is that you came from a very, yeah, I mean, you guys weren't rich, right? I mean, you, you were pretty much, the way you describe it, I think it was, I'm a, I was a poor boy in a rich area. Yeah. 
very much so. Uh, so, you know, grew up with not a lot um, in a very affluent town, um, which is a really, it's a unique way to grow up. Um, athletics early on kind of leveled the playing field for me um, because there was a pretty significant disparity uh, in terms of financial resources for my family versus others. Um, but I think it, it really, like, a, like for a lot of us, you know, the way we grow up becomes kind of the foundation of, of what we become. And for me, it instilled, uh, I think, a tremendous work ethic, a lot of discipline, a lot of resiliency, uh, which are three key characteristics that we always look for in, in, in folks. Um, and kind of, it left me very, very motivated and not motivated for material things, but motivated to not have the stress and anxiety uh, that I felt as a little kid, um, knowing that my parents were struggling financially um, to, to try to, you know, um, just do the things that, you know, other people maybe take for granted. So, I mean, you've, you've, one of the assets that you say you have is your circle of people that are around you and you're surrounded by some really affluent people. How does a kid that grows up from nothing, you know, get into these circles and starts actually building those relationships? Uh, a lot of it is right place, right time. Um, but I think a, a big portion of that, uh, those relationships, whether it's with you know, pro athletes or, or people that have, that have uh, a lot of influence. Um, I think so many times people uh, want to have a relationship with them because they want to get something from them. And I've never viewed it that way, uh, not for a second. Um, so I get inspired by being around amazing military leaders or pro athletes or Olympians or New York Times bestsellers or CEOs. So I've always just gravitated. I ask a ton of questions. Um, I'm just super curious. Um, so it's, it's kind of fostered some really great relationships. Those relationships have spun into other relationships. Um, and, you know, if you flash forward 20 something years, it's a pretty massive group of people um, that I have really tight relationships with and is really kind of what got the books off the ground. And that's, that's just really cool. So something new LLC, how long has that been in business? It'll be six years in February. Congratulations. Thank how'd you, how did you come up with something new? Like when, when people are calling, they're like, Hey, where are you from? Or where do you work? You literally something new. Yep. <laughs> so, awesome. uh, I'm, I'm a big believer in branding and I didn't want, I, I think a lot of companies in the talent space are, you know, Jones, Smith and Schwartz. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, it's, uh, you don't know if it's an accounting firm or a law firm or you don't really know what they do. And I'm not saying that something new tells you what you do, but I knew that at the core the whole reason why I started the company was to create a completely different mousetrap um, and 
be, be very disruptive in an industry that I think uh, was ripe for it. So the name just came to me and I said, that's, that's what we want to be. We want to be something new. Uh, everyone's looking for something new. Uh, and that's what we have to provide. So I also like, and this wasn't really intentional, but as the years have gone by, it's easy to call yourself something new when you're first starting. When you're six years in and you're calling yourself something new, you got to constantly be innovating. And that's why, you know, our team takes so much pride in winning what's now a record five consecutive American Business Awards for innovation, because it's easy to win it once, or maybe it's not easy, but you can win it once, <laughs> but to win it five every year you've been in business, it's just, it is a constant reminder that we always have to be innovating. We always have to be thinking about what's next, what's missing, what are people not getting that they need? I love that. How do you guys go about doing that, Scott? Like, do you call a leaders meeting like who who's responsible for trying to find something new and innovative every year uh all of us uh so we don't have we're all leaders in the company um i just feel like i'm a part of a team um of really amazing uh very very creative uh wonderful people who come up with all kinds of different ideas we don't uh we don't really sit down and say, let's do something innovative. I'm not even sure that that's really how innovation works. I think innovation is a little bit more spontaneous and it will just, it'll hit us like a bolt of lightning. Um, so it comes at different times. I mean, we were just talking in our meeting this morning. We have seven announcements. These are major, major announcements that are things that are going that we're going to let people know about um, that are going to happen by January first. Wow, which is pretty crazy um, to have seven significant company events um, that we're really, really excited to talk about. So the innovation just it just keeps coming. Yeah. So can you share like a last one that you've already told people about that hit, hit you guys like a bolt of lightning and everybody was like, oh man, this is a great idea. We got to do this. Um, I, I'm not going to give any of the seven away, um, but we did come up with something called the Ripple Report. Um, so, and I stole this. Uh, so from a company called Tom's, which a lot of people are familiar with, they were kind of the the, the innovators in the buy one, get one uh, kind of movement, which now Bombas and tons of other companies have, have taken that model. Um, but I was reading, uh, Blake Mikoski uh, is the founder of Tom's. And so he puts out an impact report every year, which shows the impact that Tom's has by giving shoes away and doing a lot of other innovative things. And I thought, uh, let me look into this because it was really inspirational to read it. And the only thing I could find was really, really big, massive companies like a Microsoft that may put out that type of report. And I couldn't find anything from a smaller company. 
So I said, we do a ton of really unique, interesting things. And we also believe in this concept of being a ring and a ripple. So I said, why don't we put out our own report? We put out, a, I think it's about a 50 page report. You can find it on our website, but it details all of the things that we do to give back. And we do that not to kind of, you know, thump our chest, but we do it to try to inspire other people that even though you're small, uh, even though you may not have tremendous financial resources like a Microsoft, even as a small company, you can make a tremendous impact. So we want to inspire people. So that's how that Ripple Report uh, was born. And that's something that we'll do every single year. What type of organizations are you guys proud to give back to? We try very hard to give back to organizations that are underserved um, or not known. I think there's incredible organizations out there that do great work that I love. So whether that's, you know, Susan G. Coleman or Wounded Warrior or whatever, they're fantastic and they do great work, but they don't need the awareness that we can bring to them and they don't necessarily need the funding. I mean, obviously it, it benefits them, but it doesn't have the same impact as some of the smaller organizations. So I've been involved in nonprofits for, I don't know, decades. So I was a you know, weekend manager at the Ronald McDonald House when I was younger. Um, and so I've always had a passion um, for nonprofit work and I've served on boards and I've been chairman of the board uh, and I've realized that raising awareness uh, is so important to be able to raise funding because if nobody knows who you are, nobody's going to donate to you. So raising awareness is really important. So we try to pick organizations like the Look for the Good Project or Elevate New York or Keep on Playing. Uh, that are doing incredible things, but are not necessarily household names. Gotcha. Wow. And okay, so shifting back to your um, to something new, you guys service. I mean, essentially, you're a recruiting company, but you do way more than that. There's also a consulting component where you're helping yeah. organizations. Um, well, why don't you say? You probably could say it better than I can. <laughs> so. Uh, Recruiting is, is definitely one of the three things that we do. So we have three businesses under the something new umbrella. So the first is recruiting done very differently. So it's not recruiting done the way that most people are, are used to recruiting being done. So there's a lot of innovation there. The second uh, part of, of, of our um, company is an advisory service for corporations called Something New Labs. So Something New Labs sets the foundation for a company so that they really understand at a very, very deep and fundamental level how to do talent acquisition, onboarding, and retention the right way. If companies figure that out, the sky's the limit. Uh, most companies are not really very good at any of those things, nevertheless, all of them. Um, so there's a massive need out there for companies to use that type of an advisory service. And then the last advisory service is for individuals. Uh, so it's called Career Ideas. Um, and when you think about your own life, 
you know, you probably have a personal trainer, you've got somebody who cuts your hair, maybe somebody who cuts your lawn, you've got a plumber, an electrician, uh, a lawyer, an accountant, et cetera. You've got all these people in your life that are your go-to people. Um, and I would say outside of your health, your career is probably the second most important because your career affects your health, mental and physical health. It affects your relationships and it affects your finances. Yet people really don't have a go-to person. So when COVID hits and the business world gets very disrupted or you know, there's downsizing or anything that happens that affects your career, people kind of go into panic mode and it's like, oh my goodness, uh, I haven't really done the right things in terms of strategy and networking and all the other things you need to do. So we provide an advisory service that's very, very high touch, um, very, very one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and, and again, it's very different so there's a lot of courses out there that you can take, but they're not customized, they're not long-term, and they're not one-on-one. -on -one. And I think ultimately that's what people need is, I've got to really understand Harry or Eric's DNA in order to truly help you and to strategize. And also when you take a course, that's, that addresses a moment in time, but as we all know, our careers take crazy bounces. And what you value or what you're looking for at 23 versus 33 versus 43 and 53 and beyond are very, very different. So having somebody that can help guide you through that process is really, really valuable. So that's the third, uh, that's the third piece of our business. So if we talk about that third piece of the business, what do they, what do you focus on? Somebody comes to you, whether they're laid off or just not happy, they, they want to try something new. Yep. They're coming to something new. What areas are you focusing on or what are you helping them uncover? So we're definitely helping people that are in that transition mode, but we view that as like your house is on fire. So you've lost your job for whatever reason, or you just know you need to leave. Um, that's like your house is on fire. You need a firefighter to put that out. We're really, really good at that. But what really people should be looking for is fire prevention. So people should be trying to make sure their house doesn't catch on fire by doing all the right things, which is having a strategy. A lot of people you know, for lack of a better term, I think they play checkers with their career. They don't play chess. They're not thinking out multiple steps. How will this decision affect me two, three, four, five, ten 10 years down the road? Um, so the strategy component is really important. And that also changes over time. So we work with people as people have kids or get married or you know, figure out, hey, sales leadership is not for me. I really feel like I'd be happier doing something else. We help with the strategy piece. We do a lot with networking. I think a lot of people think they're good networkers. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that that bears out to be true. And people are maybe not necessarily doing it in the, in the right ways to truly build relationships. 
Um, so we really teach people very, very different methodologies to build true relationships. Um, and at the end of the day, that's probably where you're going to find your next opportunity. Um, so that when you know you do have uh, a, a situation where where you need to do something new, uh, you're prepared for it. Wow, Scott, you know you bring up so many good points, and uh, you know just thinking about our audience and where the times are right now, and people they may have steady jobs, but you know everything is kind of still up in the air to some degree, and most employees don't know the numbers uh, that their company is working with. And so maybe their futures are not as certain as they are, or maybe they're starting to think a little bit differently that seeing this happen, then maybe something can change in the future. My future is not as solid as I once thought it was. What should these people start thinking about? Because I mean, I love what you just said about um, the decisions you make may impact you for years. Right. Uh, and it's definitely true. I can uh, vouch for that. And, you know, sometimes people think that just if I'm in survivor mode um, and stay with a job and it's, I'm being loyal and this is all great in their own mind uh, and without asking too many questions, what should people be thinking about uh, today that may help them, you know, three, five years from now uh, yep. with all this? Have you given that any thought? Yes. Yeah, so, Part of it is the saying that I certainly didn't invent, which is your network is your net worth. Um, and understanding that the relationships that you build at 22 years old could become the most valuable relationship to you when you're 52 years old. Um, so really thinking strategically about how do I build relationships? How do I add value to other people's lives? Um, you know, a lot of people just don't spend time doing that. Yeah. Or they look at somebody and again, it's what they can get, not what they can give. Um, so when you start doing that early on, and I think I was just doing it, uh, I wasn't doing it strategically, I was just kind of doing it because mm -hmm. You know, there are people um, that like to give presents and there are people like to get presents. Um, I like to give presents. So mm -hmm. it just, it was natural for me to want to build relationships and want to figure out how can I help this person? And by doing that repetitively over and over and over again, over the course of time, I really was able to build amazing relationships. So I would say double down on networking and building uh, those networks. Really be cognizant that you're in charge of your own brand. Um, so if you think that you're gonna be with ABC Company for the rest of your life, that's probably not true. Uh, and if all you're doing is promoting ABC Company, and I'm not saying don't be loyal to your employer and don't promote your employer, but build your own brand. Be proud of who you are because everybody's unique. Everybody has different gifts that they can give. Um, and hopefully you're with a company that celebrates that and isn't scared by it. Uh, and they allow you to build your own brand. When you do that, we call it job security or job insurance. Um, 
you really have job insurance forever because you're never with a huge network and with a brand that you've built, you're always going to be incredibly marketable rather than be in that situation where, oh my goodness, like I better brush up my LinkedIn profile, my resume. And yeah, I haven't done a great job keeping in contact with people. So now start I'm being nice to people and uh, yeah. start acting like I don't want something. Like I, let me start acting like I care. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Kind of I know I can fool somebody. Well, right. I fooled Eric this long, so uh, it, it can work to, for a few minutes anyway. <laughs> but that, uh, you know, where, where you just went with that as far as, uh, you know, having your own brand and your own personality inside of a company. So how does that work if someone were to be interviewing, right? I mean, so you look at some people on LinkedIn and you think, oh my God, this person's got an amazing company and you click on their profile and they're, they're an employee somewhere. Right. Right. And so you have to think that that company is, you know, embraces that person is that person's personality and their brand. Yep. Right. Uh, so how do you help someone to interview in a place where it's actually promoting that uniqueness or their brand so that they can have that insurance? It's, it's hard to find those companies, to be honest. So most okay. companies are really afraid for their employees to build a personal brand uh, okay. because they're afraid that that makes them more marketable and then they can leave. Mm -hmm. um, I think very differently. Uh, so I think progressive companies understand that having multiple voices that sound a little bit different um, it is that diversity is really powerful. So we have a team all over the country and they have incredible personal brands uh, that we benefit from because mm -hmm. they're all different. And I think the diversity that we have, certain people are gonna resonate with certain people on our team. There, there's a common denominator in that all of everyone that we have is incredibly bright and has a huge heart. Um, mm -hmm. But the way they show up sometimes is very different. Um, so we celebrate that and we encourage it. Mm -hmm. I do think, unfortunately, a lot of companies don't. So one of the questions that we encourage candidates to ask in the, in the interview process is, how do you guys view social media? What do you think about personal branding? Um, have you ever asked somebody to take a post down? And if so, why? Mm -hmm. um, and ask some of those questions to figure out, uh, is this a company where I'm free to do that? Mm -hmm. Or is this a company where that would be frowned on? So in that scenario where people are maybe a little bit more desperate, uh, where they're saying, I, I need the job. Right, but I'm gonna go back to that three, five years down the road. Um, how does that, how do they have to play that, right? When one side of their head is, come on, Harry, you need the job, you need, you need to pay your bills. Right. And the other side is, I want to be me in my next job. Yeah. So, I mean, my advice for everybody is never be in a situation, bless you, Eric, uh, never be in a situation where you're desperate because mm -hmm. when you're desperate, you're going to make short-term decisions. Um, they're not going to be the best decisions. 
Um, so don't put yourself in that position in the first place. So, you know, whether it's your personal finances or whether it's your health, if it's your personal finances, I'd say don't get into debt. Mm-hmm. Be allergic to debt. With your health, make sure you take care of your health so that, you know, you're not sitting there on the operating table saying, man, I need to start exercising and eating right. Um, same thing with your career. Make the investments uh, to do the right things um, so that you're never in that position. If you're in that position, then sometimes desperate times call for desperate measures and you do have to compromise. But that, that can be uh, just rip out your soul when you, ju- you, ha- you need that paycheck um, and you take that job that you just know it's not a good fit. Um, so I think people invest a lot in a lot of things that are probably unnecessary or don't give them the same ROI that investing in your career will give you. And this, the same with companies. Companies invest in all kinds of things that don't really pay the dividends as, you know, investing in, wow, here's a company that can teach us how to do talent acquisition, onboarding, and retention in a way that we've never even thought about it before. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead, they're going to have a meeting about what snacks to offer in the cafeteria or whether they should get you know, more foosball tables or ping pong tables, Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to investing in things that give you huge ROI and long-term ROI. Scott, one thing you said earlier, you made a distinction between playing chess and playing checkers Mm -hmm. from the candidate side. Yep. But a lot of companies also are playing checkers and not chess from the hiring side. And what I mean by that is that just because somebody was a great employee at ABC company in the same role you're hiring for does not mean that that person is going to be super successful at your company. The team dynamics different. The, the strategic goals are different. All those things are different. How do you, uh, but the mentality is the same, right? If my competitors got their top sales guy, if I hire that type sales guy, they're, they're just going to be great for me as well. Do you find those things to be true or do you educate companies to kind of take a deeper dive? We educate companies to take a much deeper dive. So I, I think companies, uh, in terms of the way that companies do talent acquisition, it's actually very, very frightening. Um, so if you look at uh, the way that professional sports, the way that they manage talent acquisition and onboarding and things like that, it's done in such a different way. There's a process, there's a method that's put in place. Yet in corporate America, we seem to be fooled into thinking that we could just wing it and good things will happen. It, that's not the case. Um, you can't just wing it uh, and think that good things will happen. Uh, I think a lot of leaders too have really short-term memories. So they remember, hey, I hired Eric and he was a rock star. You know, he was great. They forget about the five people that they hired that quit or were fired in six or nine months because they failed. Uh, Because it's painful to remember that. But companies really don't have 
a strong process and methodology, yet you look at other disciplines like sports, and we've often been called the Billy Bean of recruiting because we use a very data-driven approach to help companies make really good decisions. Too many people will say, I resonate with Eric because he was a United States Marine and so is my son. That's great and I have tremendous respect, but that doesn't mean that that would necessarily be a good fit. Um, so removing that bias and using data to help you make decisions is the right way to do it. I mean, that's the way the NFL, they don't just send people to the combines and be like, well, I don't know, we're just gonna kind of look around and you know, maybe this person is gonna value this in a quarterback and this other coach is gonna value something completely different. That never happens in the NFL. It doesn't happen in Major League Baseball. It doesn't happen in any pro sport. They have it down to a science. Um, yet corporate America, they're just like, yeah, you know, we'll have this person interview this person, we'll mix it up, we'll do different things all the time, and, and that's a recipe for disaster. What are some of the data points you're looking at on a, from the client standpoint, from, from the com hiring company standpoint? Yep. Um, so uh, most companies undervalue or overvalue certain things. Um, if you look at any job description that you've ever seen, go on Indeed and just start looking at job descriptions. You're going to see a laundry list of things that a company's looking for. What you're not going to find is those things that they're looking for put into buckets and then weighted differently. So for instance, you may want somebody with a bachelor's degree or an MBA, but in reality, that's probably a nice to have, not a must have. A must have, which is a non-negotiable, is are things like work ethic, discipline, resiliency, the actual core things that make somebody successful. I almost never see those things in a job description, which means that most companies assume incorrectly that those that everyone has that quality that's not true um, that's why the marines you know it's the few the proud the marines it's there's not a lot of people that can do that uh, there are not a lot of people that have a great work ethic have great discipline and have great resiliency so we try to coach people to look for the must-haves weigh them differently than the nice abs. Wow, there's so much value in that. Sorry, Harry. Is that mostly through testing, profiling, when you look at data, I mean, for so, candidates? It's a great question. Um, we have determined what makes up a great chief revenue officer, what makes up a great hunter versus a great farmer, so we've already determined all of that criteria. We've done that by scraping all the data that we possibly could. Mm -hmm. uh, we then have a second filter for it, which is our own personal experiences. And then we vet that through uh, industry experts. And that becomes the criteria. Now companies can change it, 
historically they don't change anything because it's kind of gone through three different levels of vetting. So we give this to a company and we say, if you're looking for this particular person, these are the must-haves, these are the importance, and these are the nice-to-haves. Um, and it's, it's very, very accurate. Yeah, I was just thinking about back in the day, Eric and I uh, grew up in sales in the copier industry. Yep. And we used to have these personality profile tests. And, you know, we would have this candidate that, you know, looked everything about the person looked great. And we would say, emotion, emotion, emotion. We want this person. And then they tested terribly. Right. And then we had to beg and plead. And, you know, whenever we begged and pleaded, it was, again, it's all emotion. Uh, I don't know if any of those candidates that we begged and pleaded for uh, worked out, right? So on the outside, it looked like no brainer, but yet the testing really seemed to be, you know, the answer. Right. Then you have on the other side, people that tested well, didn't know how to sell. Right. Right. We couldn't teach them like the... Uh, I think the challenge is, is that like a natural talent or the being able to be a good listener or right. need to ask for the order or whatever it was. So you get the idea, right? On one hand, you're super emotional and you want the person and the other person tested well, but ends up not being able to sell. So what do you do in those scenarios? Yeah. Is that clear? Or is that question too much? It, it, it happens yeah. all the time. So I, I mean, I could take you back my first management job. Uh, I was working for a Fortune 500 company and I was 20, I don't know, 27, something like that. So I took over a team that was below 40% of quota and it was primarily um, people from, with lots of experience from very established companies, mm -hmm. um, but they were grossly underperforming. <laughs> so I wound up letting everybody go. Um, and I built a team, but I built a team that aesthetically, maybe on paper, uh, you wouldn't necessarily, they, they weren't, you know, perennial president's club winners at Xerox. They mm -hmm. were kind of out of the box candidates. The common denominators were they had an incredible work ethic. They had incredible discipline. They had incredible resiliency. And I didn't let other things sway me. So fast forward uh, in a year and a half by October of that following year, we we're the number one team in the country. Uh, How do you test for that? <laughs> How do you test for the hard work? How do you test for the hard work, the resiliency, the discipline? You look, uh, in some cases, you look to the past. Um, at that time, I wasn't an expert in behavioral interviewing. Um, that's something that we incorporate now and encourage clients to learn how to do behavioral interviewing, um, which is, you know, tell me about a time when, and, and mm -hmm. you're really getting specific answers. Um, but I was looking towards the past. And for some people, it was a competitive athletic background, or I just really spent the time to try to figure out what was going to motivate this person and were they motivated um, to do the job because you have to be willing and able to do the job and what i found back then was 
a lot of people were able to do the job, meaning intellectually, they could wrap their head around the solution, they could understand it. So they were, they were able to do the job, but they weren't willing to do the job. Mm-hmm. Willing to do the job back in those days was knocking on 40 doors a day, cold calling, mm-hmm. and doing things that a lot of people are terrified to do. Um, but that was what brought them success. So, you know, I didn't really, I knew that we could teach somebody uh, a lot, but I couldn't really teach them uh, how to have a great work ethic or discipline. So you could just see it in other aspects of people's lives, whether they have it or they don't. That's really cool. So going back to the relationship building, are there, if you had to write a quick ebook on first three things you must do to build a relationship that'll last you 20 years how does someone start like if i say okay and i want to i don't have that rolodex that i really want to have that's going to cause me success right i want to build these relationships what should i start what are the first three things i could do so the the first is it's your mindset your mindset has to be on how can i help other people not how can that person benefit me. So I think so many times relationships are are not formed because somebody meets somebody and their immediate thought, especially in sales, is how can I monetize this relationship in 30, 60, or 90 days? And if I can't figure out a way to do that, I'm not going to make the investment because I feel like I'm not going to get an ROI. I never think that way. I always have wound up in great spots and I kind of sit there in a good spot and I'm like, how the hell did I get here? And I re and I kind of reverse engineer it. And it's always a very crazy circuitous path that it was like, oh wow, this actually started with a relationship that I formed seven years ago which triggered all of these things. But that relationship started seven years ago and it took twists and turns. If I had looked at that person and tried to figure out the end of the story, um, I would have never invested in the relationship. So I just continuously invest in people that I think uh, are interesting, that inspire me. uh, And I don't kind of worry about how the book ends. It just always, a lot of people will call it karma. Um, and maybe that's what it is, but you wind up in, in really, really good spots. Okay. So that cleared it up a little bit because you mentioned, you said you continually invest in people that inspire you. Yes. So there has to be that component. Like you're not every single person you meet, you're trying to build a relationship with, right? No. Okay. Perfect. I mean, I have another concept. This is actually something we teach uh, in in our career advisory. So this is going to sound crazy. Um, We like it already. (laughs) It's my favorite. uh, We have uh, something that we call Who's Your Oprah? So the thought process behind this and the logic is this. If you are Oprah Winfrey's best friend, Gail King, if you are Gail King, because of your relationship with Oprah, 
and because you're her best friend, you pretty much have access to anybody in the world. Because would you guys agree that if Oprah Winfrey picks up the phone and wants to talk to any human being on earth, she's probably going to be able to do it. I would say yes. Yeah, that's too so fun. So you can insert lots of different names in there, um, but we call it Who's Your Oprah? So everybody has an Oprah. Um, everybody has somebody who has influence um, above and beyond the average person in their network. And it's just figuring out who are those people? How can I double down on those relationships? And you're gonna constantly, your Oprah's are going to continue to become more and more influential. And you're going to be able to reach more and more people because you have a very, very influential network. Does that make sense? Yes, yeah. Eric is my Oprah. You gotta, you gotta up your game, dude. <laughs> you got a car, you get a car. Yep. Good. Nice. Well, that's great stuff. I, I mean, this, this so works. I mean, Eric and I, when we started doing this podcast, um, probably in May, uh, we were talking about doing it and Eric said, so, uh, or I, I might've said, so who do we know? Because I know you and you know me. So that's two. Yep. Who else can we get on this show? And then, you know, we started doing it. And then before long, it was like, wow, we're never going to run out of potential guests. And, you know, the, the things, the people we've come in contact through this, like you, for instance, I didn't, I mean, I mean, you're up in the Northeast. I'm in South Florida. Eric's in the mid-Atlantic states. Yeah. Uh, we came together through connections on LinkedIn. And then all of a sudden, you know, here you are, right? right. And it's just... It's an amazing thing where you kind of open up yourself to, I have no idea where this is going to take me. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing that I'm fascinated with is, you know, just by having that mindset, which, you know, you mentioned that you, ha you have greater joy in giving than getting, right? And I think a Big lot time. of us are like that. And, you know, just going back to that, where Eric talked about the ebook, if you were trying to help somebody, who is not necessarily that giver mindset, right? And, you know, so they first thing they do is that they might go to the exact opposite extreme where they say, okay, I'm going to go up to anybody and get completely involved in this person and then find out what well, the person has no friends, um, you'd be their first friend and you wanna help the person. And yeah, all that's good but is that necessarily strategic, right? Mm -hmm. And so is strategy, is it a bad thing? I mean, I mean, meaning that are you walking past people who are also human beings for strategy, for the greater benefit of helping more people? Again, probably a very muddy question, but uh, see if you can work with me on it. Yeah, so I think, uh, no, I think it's an excellent question. I mean, to me, I want to make a, a huge impact in the world, um, okay. but I'm just one guy. Nobody knows who I am. Um, so I know that my network is my megaphone. It's my opportunity uh, to really make an impact on the world. Um, so that's where the strategy comes in. And I, so strategy sounds it sounds almost manipulative. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I don't yeah, mean okay. it in a manipulative yeah. 
I, yeah. I think it's all where you're coming from. Right. So it's what's your AI, and, and that's not artificial intelligence, it's what's your aim and intention. My aim and intention is to try to change the world. I know that I can't do that alone. I need friends to do that. And the more good-hearted, influential people uh, that I can rally together, the bigger impact I can have in the world. I will say I don't, that doesn't mean that just because somebody has influence um, that I'm going to gravitate to them. So I'm gonna give you a, a real example. And this may offend people that are listening to the podcast, but it's my truth. And we like it already. <laughs> I have direct access through other people that I know to people like Grant Cardone. I don't align with Grant Cardone. Um, I just don't align with him. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know him, but I know enough about him to know that he's not somebody that I would invest in, even though I have access to him through other people that know him extremely well. So if I wanted to get to him, I know I could. Mm -hmm. um, but I have no interest because we don't align. So it yeah. doesn't, I'm not going to just invest in a relationship because somebody has influence. That's so an like selling your soul, right? I mean, that's a little bit where you're selling right. your soul to someone like just because someone's an influencer doesn't mean you need to compromise your values and say, no. you need to jump no. on that because that person's an influencer. So Sorry, sorry, Grant, but <laughs> no, it's all right. He is you know, one of our biggest listeners. Yeah. He, was thinking, <laughs> yeah. he was thinking of buying advertising on right. our program, so but I think that, that just went out the window. Is gone. Sorry about that. <laughs> Shucks. We'll take you any day. We'll take you over that any day. Um, Scott, who's your Oprah? That's a very, very good question. Um, I mean, I have so many impactful people in my life right now. Um, I might answer it a little bit differently, uh, just because it's hard at this point to say who has the most influence. Um, the person that probably has the most impact on my life, uh, is a gentleman named Jesse Itzler. Uh, so Jesse you know, is an amazing guy, entrepreneur, started Marquee Jet, which he sold to Warren Buffett, you know, uh, got involved with Zico Water, which he sold to Coca-Cola, uh, owns the Atlanta Hawks. He's married to Sarah Blakely, who's CEO of Spanx. Um, Jesse is somebody uh, who's just been really, really impactful in my life. Uh, and you know, I'm so thankful for my relationship with him. Um, so I would say, you know, and I've told him this before, he has a huge, huge impact on, on my life. Uh, so it, I mean, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pick Jesse out of the hat and say, Jesse. Yeah, nice. It's funny. Somebody on Facebook yeah. a while back before we talked, asked the question, if you could sit on a bench, it had like the Forrest Gump bench. And it said, if you could sit on yeah. a bench and just have a conversation for an hour with one person, who would it be? I actually put Jesse Itzler and I <laughs> tagged him in that post. I love Jesse. Itzler. Did he respond? 
Uh, no, no. <laughs> but I was a part of his um, build your life resume kind of yeah. weekly thing. And he's got these things called misogies. Yep. And um, I've done, I've done uh, many of them with him. What's your favorite? Could you just tell a little bit about well, that what experience? What are they? What is a misogi? For so those a misogi is, well, I'll let Eric. Uh, no, no, go uh, ahead. You, I mean, you've actually experienced it. I haven't a done A misogi is putting something on your calendar that scares you, uh, that you think you probably can't do. But it's kind of like a big, hairy goal. Yeah. Um, you know, it's something that you're, you're really working towards. Um, so... I've done a number of Everest climbs uh, with Jesse. So not literally climbing Mount Everest, but cl climbing the equivalent of Mount Everest. Uh, so it's called 29029. So 29,029 feet is the height of Everest. Um, so I've, my wife and I uh, have done a bunch of those in Utah and also in Vermont, uh, where you climb the equivalent of Mount Everest in 36 hours. Uh, which is is brutal. It's very very hard, um, but it's it's an incredible experience. So that that's an example of a masogi. I just did another one uh, with friends of mine, Mark and Christy Nealon, um, and uh, so Joe DeSena, who started Spartan. He's the founder of Spartan. Uh, we went to his farm in Vermont, and he has a mountain. Uh, so he owns his own mountain, which is nice. <laughs> cool, uh, which he calls Mount Sparta. So uh, the goal was to see who could set the record for climbing up and down Mount Sparta uh, the most in a 24 hour period. So those are those are like examples of Masogis. Mm -hmm. um, and they're they really they're life changing. They really Listen, are. That's what I was going to say. What, what does that do to you? So you climb a mountain, big deal, right? But right. It, it is a big deal. What does it do once you're up there? Like what thoughts are you having after you're done with that? It's, it's just a sense of accomplishment. It's a sense of doing something that you never thought you could do. I don't know if you, you know, when you were, when you first stepped off the bus in Paris Island and you, you saw those footsteps and you started your Marine journey you know, I'm sure when you ended uh, your boot camp training and you went to graduation, you know, it was probably something similar to that. You experienced something with a group of people. You did something that maybe you were a little unsure, like, am I going to make it through this? Um, and that self-confidence uh, that you gain from that, those relationships that you, that you build. So when you spend 36 hours doing something grueling like that uh, with people, you have bonds with them forever. It's very similar to probably what you experienced in the military. It's similar to what I experienced, you know, as a football player back in high school. It's kind of like, wow, you know, we won a state championship together. We, we accomplished something pretty cool. Um, yeah, that's... That, I know exactly what you mean. That is great. And you know what else? I think it builds neurons in our minds that things that we couldn't potentially think of accomplishing. We're now that person who can do right. it, right? I mean, you look at Jesse Itzler. I've seen him on stage. Oh, sorry. Oddly enough, it was at a Grant Cardone's 10X thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of course but it was. He was one of the speakers in front of 35,000 people. 
and I've never thought I could be a guy like that, right? But Jesse's just a just a guy. Like he's I don't know, he's awesome. Scott, you're awesome. I know we we have to cut our time short here. Um, how do people find you? The best bet, uh, believe it or not, I'm not a huge social media guy, but I am extremely active on LinkedIn. Um, so LinkedIn is definitely the place to find me. If you go to Facebook, you're going to find me, but it's going to literally say like, go to LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> so I'm also on Instagram, but that's more, you know, personal stuff. Uh, so if you want to see some of my adventures, I guess, go check that out. But uh, LinkedIn is definitely the way. Send me a personalized message. Uh, I love to get to know people. I love to build relationships. So that's by far the best, uh, the best way. I would also encourage people to just to get to know anybody on the Something New team. I mean, I cannot tell you uh, how incredible the group of people that we have, uh, they are off the charts. They are awesome. incredibly smart. They have absolutely unbelievable hearts. Um, so get to know that team uh, as much as getting to know uh, getting to know me. You know, there's a quote that, and I don't remember who said it. I think I heard John Maxwell say it. It's it's great when the people believe in their leader, but it's even better when the leader believes in his people or her people. And as you were saying that, that's what resonated with me, a leader who truly believes in their people. Scott, thank you so much for being with us today. This was truly an honor. Loved learning from you and can't wait to continue building this relationship. Thanks, Great guys. Stuff. I, I really appreciate it. Harry, I appreciate it. And Eric, I appreciate it. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for the opportunity. It was a blast, Scott. From here to there, you're going to grow because you've listened to our show. If you like our podcast vibe, don't be a stranger. Hit subscribe. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to join the B2B Sales Secrets Facebook group, and we'll see you on the next episode.